the Yak Babies. Sex, Presidents, and Sometimes Books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by baking soda volcanoes because your parents spent time with you once. My name is Brick, your interim host, and I'm here with my personal pals, David. Morning, boys. And Old May Nico. Good morning, boys. Aaron is not available to join us right at the current moment. He is depositing some, some fecal tests at his PCP. He will, however, do a call in, so you'll hear his voice at the end of this episode. We'll do our best to edit it in as inelegantly as possible. So, the year is coming to an end, and we like to try and celebrate the end of the year by, by looking back for an episode, and then probably looking forward for an episode to follow to the year that was, with regards to, to reading and the reading that we did or didn't do, which we've talked about plenty this year. So what we've done is collected our favorite books that we read this year. These are not necessarily books that were written this year. Uh, I think I'm pretty confident that I didn't read any books that were written this year. I don't know about you boys. So we're going to rattle off a few books each. Uh, you've probably heard of most of these books already in our different What Are You Reading episodes. We're just going to kind of highlight back to kind of end our year with a little reading list and go from there. So how about David? Why don't you go first? Well, I enjoyed Don Carpenter's Hard Rain Falling, which I read almost a year ago, so it's a little bit hazy, but uh, it's one of those New York Review of Books classics reissues, originally in the 60s, I believe, if not the 50s, kind of down and outer, I think San Francisco ends, San Franciscites, what's the People who live in San Francisco. Siskins. A lot of uh, like pool halls. Frisco kids. Siskins. Ah, there you go. You know, gambling in pool halls, booze, and then the main character ends up in prison for a long stretch. Uh, it's just really well, well done book. Another one that I enjoyed this year was Stephen Markley's The Deluge, which I think I talked about at length on an episode. It's like a, it's a very long, it's a, I don't know, 800 page or maybe not over 900 sort of environmental catastrophe we'll call it a climate change novel like speculative super dystopian alarming in a lot of ways so it starts out before our own timeline i can't remember exactly when maybe sometime in the the 2010s and then you get to along the way see people and politicians making the same shitty decisions that they're making in in our reality and then he goes into the the 30s, 40s and and 2050s I think is where it ends and we see the the effects of that, you know, and they're not going to be good. I don't think <laughs> we're ever going to change anything just like nothing in the the book has really changed. He does offer some glimpses of hope, I guess, probably only because you kind of have to <laughs> in a book like that, but then in the end it's it's not terribly hopeful. But it's very good. It's it's uh, entertaining, well-written. He's the guy who did Ohio, was his debut novel, and that's the one Stephen King called Grapes of Wrath of the, the Opioid Epidemic. Mm. That's a very good book, too. Yeah, I think I picked that up last time you mentioned it, but it's not read it yet. Yeah, it's good. It's also long, but not. it's like half the length of this deluge. Oh, and it comes out. Um, it's not out yet. It comes out in February, I think. I enjoyed our one and only group read. I think our one and only group read of the year, The Road. More for the the discussion itself rather than the book, mm. you know. Although it's it's a fine book, it's not uh, it's not memorable, and I won't read it again. Mm. Kevin Barry, one of my favorite writers, as you guys know very well and mock me about ceaselessly, put out a new story collection called "That Old Country Music," 
Of course, I enjoyed that. I read The Yellow House, which is nonfiction. I think it won the National Book Award for nonfiction some years ago. It's by Sarah Broom, and it's an account of Katrina and the effects of that on, you know, not just New Orleans, but her own life and her family. And The Yellow House is the house she grew up in. And it was already kind of fucked up before the hurricane and then was kind of entirely fucked up afterwards. And that is a, that that was a very good book. You know, she spends and it might be around 400 pages and she spends at least the first 100 pages, if not more, maybe if not less. In fact, <laughs> I, it's been a long time, so I, don't quote me on that. Just on like laying out family history, you know, which you'd think would be dry and dull, but it's very much not, you know, like halfway into that. I was like, Jesus Christ, how long is she going to go on with this? And why am I so invested in it? So that uh, it was you know, it was, that was very well done. And then when she gets to the build up and then the hurricane itself, and then the aftermath of it, it's like, Jesus, I mean, that's, you know, 15, 18 years later, that's still like, you know, just such a fucked up incident in this country's history. It's like hard to, hard to even wrap your mind around everything that happened there, but she does a, an excellent job of bringing it to life. Hmm. Is that it? Yeah. I think that's it. Those five, I mean, I read, I think my count is 20 books for the entire year, which even since the pandemic started slowing down my reading, I think is my low yeah. point. So there's not not a ton to choose from, but I had a few good hits. It's pretty, yeah, that's more that's than, pretty good that's more success than rate. Yeah. All right, Nico. Let's yeah, hear you unroll that scroll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have 14 books on my best books of the year list. Which is not a very uh, good success is... rate considering you read, what, 120? Uh, yeah, 110 <laughs> yeah. so far. All right, I'm going to try and blaze through these and uh, sort them into categories. So the best fantasy books I read this year, one was The Mask of Mirrors uh, in the Rook and Rose series. It's kind of a less sword fighty series, more politics. I thought it was uh, kind of a breath of fresh air. Also, A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher, which is kind of a lighter-toned fantasy book about a wizard that can do magic with baked goods. By Diane Mott Davidson? <laughs> yeah. Just about. Boner wizard? <laughs> yeah. Boner wizard in the baguettes? Oh, boy. The Jade City <laughs> trilogy by Fonda Lee is basically The Godfather, but a fantasy series about Asian wizards that have like that fight with magic so those are the three fantasy ones in my john steinbeck category east of eden and the moon is down which were both much more readable than i thought they would be thrillers i liked uh eye of the needle by ken follett which is came out like 50 years ago it is a straightforward story about this German spy who gets these pictures in England that will basically win the war for Germany and these two spy catchers that are that are trying to find him. And that's it. And you know, because you know that Germans lost World War II, you know they're going to catch him, but it's still extremely compelling. And also The Stolen Hours by Alan Eskins. Straightforward thriller, nothing that great, but a better than... The other 40-ish thrillers I read this year. And Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. Alice Feeney is like a kind of a super popular domestic thriller writer. Right now, I read two other books by Alice Feeney and was 
heartily disappointed. So if you've read other books by Alice Feeney, maybe it's best just to stop at one because <laughs> like one one other book I read by her had the exact same twist as this book, Rock, Paper, Scissors, I, which was <laughs> – that twist only works once. There's only it's three like, outcomes. Nah, I know what you're doing. And then she also wrote a book that came out this year that was called Daisy Darker. That's like nominated for all these thriller awards. And the twist of that one – Skip forward. I'm about to spoil it. Skip forward like a minute if you don't want to hear it. The twist of Daisy Darker is that the main character who is investigating this murder is dead the whole time. It's literally just the sixth sense. And it's that was so disappointing. <laughs> it's a twist. I mean, if you can just put aside the fact that she just ripped off the twist from the sixth sense, one of the most famous twists of all of twist history. If you can put that aside, it was it, it was good. But I, I can't really put that aside. All right. Random other books. Trevor Noah's Biography Born a Crime. It's really good. Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe. Kobabe, Kobabe is a good graphic novel. It's, it was one of those books that was banned by Republicans in some shithole backwater Alabama town. So I read it and it was good. And it's actually ironically about how important it is to have representation for queer people as they're growing up. And they banned it because they didn't want children to read it. So great. Mm, all right. How, How to Be Perfect is a philosophy book, legit philosophy, like straight up like history, like kind of a 101 philosophy through history book written by the creator of uh, The Office in Good Place. Um, so it's pretty funny, but it actually is a st- full on philosophy book. So you actually do kind of learn philosophy in a pretty uh, entertaining way. All right, I think that's 11. And then my last category, which were actually the three books I probably liked the most this year are just batshit books. One of them was Library at Mount Char, which we just did an entire episode about. If you're interested in it, just read it. Don't don't try to <laughs> don't try to find out what it's about beforehand. Uh, another one was The Insecure Mind of Sergei Kryev, and I don't have in my notes what who the author of that book was, but that's a super weird kind of sci-fi-ish novel about a K-pop star who starts a cult. Really good style, really kind of unique style. And then the the last one is Light from Uncommon Stars, which I just talked about on a previous, what are we reading? That is a book about a trans girl who is a violin prodigy and sells her soul to the devil to to be a better violin prodigy and for other reasons and for safety. And also some aliens who come to earth to make donuts. And, and they're running from a different reality in which everybody is basically sad. So that's it. Those are my 14 five-star books this year. All right. I got, I'm got. i going to narrow it down to five. Uh, one of them you just mentioned was the Library of Mount Char. I liked it quite a bit. Oh. Uh, not going to talk about it because we just recorded an entire podcast about it that either you've already heard or you're going to hear very soon. Second is a book that was the first book I read this year, which was Snow Country by Yasunari Kawabata, which I liked very much. It's short and it's very atmospheric, and he is just a good writer. And so I just really, really enjoyed that book. He gets into the character as well, um, but really it comes down to the atmosphere and, and sort of uh, what he creates there. He really just kind of pleasurable to read it's just it's a bit of a sad book uh, not horribly sad but it's not it's not exciting or anything like that but it's um i like sometimes to have those kind of slower shorter 
kind of writing heavy books, they they kind of grounding for me. So she probably read more of them this year because I started out my year with it and then didn't didn't keep it going. I've tried that a couple of times, and yeah, the the writing is seems great. And for some reason, I just neither time was I in the mood to continue. Like I keep saving yeah. it for like when the atmosphere seems more so i've never gotten past the the opening train scene it's a short book you could probably do it in a sitting if you had nothing to do for a few hours maybe maybe two sittings yeah 200 pages on the long end next is uh ask iwata which was the sort of collection of interviews and things with the former president of nintendo japan before he died of cancer I don't know, 10 years ago, he was like a programmer in the in the 70s and 80s. So he like literally coded a lot of those those games that sort of we've all played and became, you know, famous. You know, he he made like the original golf on Nintendo and things like that. And he spent kind of his entire adult life with the company and ultimately became the CEO. Certainly uh, Japan is is known for not necessarily taking the best care of its workers and, and their, their sort of corporate culture is, is pretty intense. But at the same time, there was a real caring for his, his workforce in, in what he was doing, right? And, he, and he, he talked a lot about sort of needing to not just be doing what shareholders say, but like making sure that, you know, people's ideas are valued and, and, and all that stuff. And he was just a generally likable character. You know, that was, he was sort of in charge of the, the company when um, they were losing money hand over fist after a couple bad consoles. And they made up for that in a lot of charm. I remember he used to do uh, videos where they would like do interviews about what, what things were like back in the 80s. Um, some of the some of the commercials and press conferences they had were really charming where they had like Muppets of themselves, etc. Uh, which it turned out later the reason they did all this Muppet, those Muppet press conferences because he was like dying of pancreatic cancer and he, they couldn't film him which is which is pretty sad but still he was seemed like a kind of nice guy and also had a ton of lore and industry knowledge to share so it was a you know it's not if you're not into nintendo games you probably wouldn't like that book very much but it was a fun read and it was it was interesting and it was pretty quick and endearing kind of on the complete opposite end of the spectrum the plot against of america uh, plot against america by philip roth i really loved this book it was also incredibly hard to read it's sort of in alternate history telling of a Jewish family in New York during the lead up to World War II. It has, I think it was written in the early 2000s, um, but it has some pretty unsettling parallels with the with the Donald Trump era, specifically in, in sort of that administration's relationship with Russia. It was very well written and, you know, very sort of, like I said, unsettling. Is that the one that brings in Lindbergh? Yeah, so Lindbergh is, is, becomes president. He's basically okay. Lindbergh. He runs on America First platform, and then it, it, it turns out later in the book that the Lindbergh baby was essentially Germans, Germany's compromat on him. So uh, the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped by Nazis, and then they kind of helped Lindbergh rise to power, were able mm. to sort of influence, influence America towards fascism uh, through him. Right. And so, you know, Lindbergh did run for president and, and he was a fascist. So uh, it, it's 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 rooted in mm-hmm. real history while, while while taking its own turn. Right. And it's, you know, really a story about community and assimilation. The, the crux of the story is, you know, th- this Jewish family and, you know, some of them want to just kind of keep their heads down and do whatever to, to still, you know, be allowed to continue some semblance of of their lives even though it's pretty clear that they're 
kind of moving towards like a, a, a quiet, likely genocide. It doesn't get that far. I think th- there's some parts in the end where it's a little unclear, the resolution. It kind of it, it kind of feels like the ship is righted at the end, but then maybe it's not. But then also there's some allusions in the book to like RFK and, and a few other kind of moments in the future. So it, it's not, in, the, the ending's a little bit more ambiguous than I would maybe like, but it's still a very, very, very good book. It, it kind of sat with me for a long time after I read it. Uh, we've talked about Roth quite a bit on the podcast he's not my favorite author but some of his books that i've read i really like and this is this is one of them was this did you some of you guys read that for grad school or was that a different roth uh i think we read the human stain maybe american pastoral one or the other i can't remember neither of those i like very much i did like goodbye columbus though Mm. okay and then finally the best book that I read this year was recommended to me by Marcos. Hi, Marcos. And it is How the World is Passed by Clint Smith. I don't know if you remember me talking about this. He picks, I want to say, five or six cities or geographical regions, uh, mostly in America, but I believe one of them is Nigeria, and explores like racism, specifically sort of Americanized racism against blacks and African Americans in those areas, Um, and does it in a, a really interesting way where he sort of tries to kind of peel back all these different layers, right? And, and, and sort of kind of highlight sort of the subtleties of systemic racism without, I don't want to say without being judgmental, but it's, you know, there's uh, some of the parts that really stuck with me. There's, there's one part where he's at, um, I think it's a Confederacy museum or it's, a, it's some sort of museum in, I want to say Georgia, maybe Virginia, where he, he's like talking to these, these two uh, older white women who, who run the place, right? And they, like, know the things to say, right? And they, they probably mean the things they're saying about, like, well, this is how we kind of share heritage and, and blah, 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 blah. And they're, like, trying not to be what they think is racist, right? But at the, at the same time, there's, like, pamphlets on the table about Sons of Confederacy or whatever, right? And, and that, that sort of disconnect between what actually is systemic racism and what a lot of people think or want to think racism is, right? We say, well, I'm not racist. I don't say the N-word, right? And, and, and so kind of peeling that back, and it's like you don't have to, like, intend to be racist to be racist, right? And not just pointing it at white people, but pointing it at whatever's going on uh, in the diaspora of the different regions he looks at. Um, it's very well done, much like that Ibram X. Kennedy book. It has a good blend of, of sort of his own personal narrative and, and, and personal it's not as memoiry as how to be an anti-racist, uh, but you can tell very clearly, you know, sort of his personality and his relationship to the different subjects he's talking about. Um, so it's very well done. I have also heard that the audiobook is very good because he narrates it, but I have not heard the audiobook. What was that one called again? How the World is Past, P-A-S-S-E. And that's, that's what I got. And I think, yep, I can hear Aaron speeding in on a tricycle oh. straight from the poop doctor. Uh-oh. Uh, so oh, and straight to your bathroom. <laughs> yeah, no, it's he. He really wants to get at my bidet, but I told him he needs to earn it. <laughs> and so you know, we're gonna we're gonna wait for those tests to come back, you know, and then go from there. Anyway, Aaron, what uh, were your favorite books of this year? Hi, personal pals. This is Aaron. I couldn't be at the recording, but I wanted to send in my favorite reading experiences of 2022. Anyway, a couple options or runners up, I guess, before I get to the main one. First runner-up is a comic book called World's Finest, written by Mark Wade and drawn by Dan Mora. This was a 
real fun read this year. World's Finest is a team up of Batman, Superman historically. It has been, it's, it's you know, started in the 30s, I think, or early, early 40s, I guess. So it's just, a, you know, their adventures together. And it pops up periodically. There's, you know, kind of always a Batman Superman book somewhere in there. This is the most recent one. And it's just really fun. Mark Wade's a great fit for it. He has a good sense of, you know, kind of a classic Silver Age superhero adventure style. You know, it's not super grim. It's not really grim at all. It's actually very bright. But he uses a lot of the extended DC Universe cast. So you get cameos from the Lantern and the Doom Patrol and good stuff like that. But also it's the art. Dan Mora is the penciler and he's incredible. Uh, it looks gorgeous. It has a very classic style, you know, kind of not unlike artists like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, like sort of classic DC artists, but with a kind of a modern, almost like manga twist to it. It's a bit more energetic. Uh, it just kind of has that sort of like contemporary, you know, Japanese influence gloss, which is really cool. It's just a very satisfying look. But the all-star of that book that was Jory, uh, sorry, not Jory Blair, uh, Tamara Bonvion. She's the, colorist the colors in this book are incredible they're so bright uh and that's you know i think essential to the appeal of it is how bright and colorful it is because that ties right into the feel of it which is you know a good time fun superhero adventure it just wants that kind of classic book so that was a uh, close contender for sure I, I love that comic another reading experience i really loved this year was i started getting to reading the baffler i don't know if anyone, any of you guys read this it's a magazine like a sort of like a Semi, I guess it's like a monthly magazine. You know, it's progressive, political magazine, progressive, like leftist, you know, politics, cultural takes, but really good and, and well-written stuff. Really interesting reviews, good feature articles. And I, I sort of started looking at it this year. I guess I leaked, someone leaked to it on Twitter. I followed it that way and uh, read an article about Trump, obviously. And it was really good. I thought it was it captured. And, you know, it, it gets away from a lot of the kind of more basic takes. You know, it's, it's not just Trump is bad and here's why. It's sort of more looking into like, how did this happen? And, and sort of, you know, look at the, the real reasons why, you know, America's not so gradual shift into increased fascism happened. So I really enjoyed reading that. It's, it's not all that stuff. There's other interesting articles there about different social issues too. It's not all politics. It's just a really good read as well. So like the Baffler, I had a good time reading that. Well, not a good time. It's a sad time often. It's a frustrating time, but a very interesting time, let's say. So that was good. But my real winner, of the year, my favorite reading experience was when I sat down and read the first volume of Astro City by Kurt Busiek and drawn by Brent Anderson. I mentioned this in the podcast before during one of the What Are We Reading episodes. This is a book that I wanted to read forever. It's a long running series. I think Astro City first came out in like maybe three or four. And the premise is, you know, sort of like the world of superheroes, but from the ground up, right, from the biosynergy perspective. So you're looking, you're, you're getting sort of superhero stories for sure, but it's, kind of, it's not focusing so much on the epic battles or feats of strength and more on, you know, what is it like to be a person in this world? You know, how would it, what would it be like to be, to run a hot dog stand on a street where, you know, every other day it's getting torn up by a big battle between superheroes? So I'd always, I'd read about it when I was a kid, uh, and never, you know, it wasn't one of the ones, the comics that my brother and I read regularly. So I never really got into it that way, but I read about it and thought it sounded good. And I got the first trade years ago, one of my first comic conventions. And I read it, liked it, but didn't, couldn't find the next trades or just didn't, I don't know, didn't follow up for whatever reason. But it was always in the back of my head, I want to keep reading Astro City. It's so good. And, uh, so finally Image is put, it's, it's bounced around from publishers. You know, it's sort of bounced from, I think, 
homage comics first, which was a sub a, a imprint of Image, to DC and Vertigo to Independent and Bag. It's been kind of everywhere. Well, it's back at Image now, and Image just released or is beginning to release big omnibus volume, which is great because I like a big chunky omnibus better than a small. You know, problem with trades these days is they're only like five or six issues, and you feel like you're just not getting. I don't want to spend twenty bucks on a five issue trade. So the omnibus are great because they collect a lot together. It's a big chunky read. Anyway, the first volume. It was the first, I don't know, like 12, 13 issues, maybe more than that, maybe more than 15. And it was fast, uh, uh, fantastic, I should say. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, great stories. You know, the like, example story is there's one story where there's a character, he wrote a character called Jack in a Box, who's basically kind of like a combination of Batman and Spider-Man. You know, a vigilante who dresses like a clown, <laughs> kind of does like acrobatic stuff and has kind of clown-themed gadgets, but is just an ordinary man. You know, has no powers, uses devices and... and technology and i think he's like a i think he's like an advertising like a copywriter maybe during his day he has a day job i can't remember this now anyway so a big mystery in astro city is you know who is jack in the box which is i think similar to you know how people want to know who that and there's an issue where a very low level criminal like a petty thug kind of pickpocket guy happens to see you know, just being in the right place at the right time, sees Jack in the Box take off his mask in public and learns that he sees that he's like, you know, just like a, a normal dude, uh, doesn't know who he is, but knows what he looks like and starts to think, well, I have valuable information now. You know, the big crime bosses and sort of villains and they might want to know who Jack in the Box is. So he has to first figure out who he is. So he kind of does some detective work to track down who the guy is, but then also becomes paranoid that maybe Jack in the Box knows that he knows he's going to come get him sometime. And so it's this, it, this whole story is the petty criminal's paranoia. You know, what do you do with this secret? You know, this is a valuable information, but if you use it, there are, it might also be your death warrant, right? I love that. It. It's great. That kind of stuff is what Astro City is all about. I love reading it. I had such a good time. You know, right in the summer when I had nothing much to do. So I was able to kind of like sort of like leisurely stroll through it, but it really was a, a very brisk read anyway. Like it's, it's hard to, to put it down. And I have volume two. I haven't cracked it yet, but I will soon. Looking forward to cracking that because it's just so much fun. I do have a contender for my least favorite read <laughs> of the year. It's kind of funny because yeah, part of it is it, it sort of like it goes in a descending order, I guess, as I read it in segments. And this is, of course, The Road by Mark McCarthy. The first chunk that I read, the first whatever it was, 70 pages, something 100 pages that I read in one sitting, I loved. And I had a really good time reading it. Or not, you know, again, not a good time, but I was invested in it. I was engaged and I was sort of like, you know, brought into this world very quickly and and really wrapped up in it. And I had to put it down for various reasons. And then every time I went back to read it, I read it in, you know, exponentially smaller segments because, as we discussed in that big Canner Canada episode, it gets kind of repetitive. So it wasn't exactly fun to read after a certain point. It became a bit of a slog, which is, I guess, appropriate. The, the narrative itself was a slog. Um, literally. But, you know, that, that first bit, fascinating, really engaging, and the rest of it sort of went down, you know, less so. Which is, again, not to say the book is not good. We just, you know, obviously, you can listen back to the episode and see what we thought about it and what I thought about it specifically. I do think it's a good book, ultimately, but reading it is not exactly fun, and I think you do have to read it in one setting. I, I, I don't know. That might be a valid critique, but I do think there's something about that book and that story and the way it's told specifically means you have to sit down and read it all at once, and if you don't, that some of the magic is is broken. And this is, you know, I've heard people talk about it and they said similar things that, you know, people who like really loved it will say things like I sat down and read it in one sitting and I was, you know, five hours later, I sat up and 
was in tears, whatever. That makes sense. I can see that. If you stop, if you break the match, break the spell a little bit, you can't come back to it. He's going to like lose that momentum. That's what I think, at least. I could be wrong. Anyway, that's my reading experiences for the year. Looking forward to more in 2023 with some more time and some you know, new things to read. Okay, take it away, Britt. Great. Thanks, Aaron. Well, readers. <laughs> <laughs> they don't read podcasts. Listeners, what were your... <laughs> <laughs> readers of books. Fair enough. Well, readers of books who are also listeners of this podcast... Tell us about your favorite books of this year by emailing us at I did it yakbabiespodcast at gmail dot com. We would actually very much like to hear those emails. Read those emails. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, whatever. Mika, <laughs> get the audio Mika versions. will listen to the emails. I will read them. And uh, <laughs> I think you know one of the maybe this is something we're going to talk about in our in our uh, subsequent looking forward to twenty twenty three episode. I think we're looking for new avenues and new suggestions on where to find books to read. I think uh, with the exception of, of Nico, who's at an all-time level of, of, of consuming. For a second, I thought you were going to say we're looking for new podcast members. Yeah, we might be. I mean, we got to see how Aaron's some, test some of you, Some of you might be getting fired. Yeah, well, his butt might not be recoverable. <laughs> I think we're, we're looking for suggestions on what to read. I think we've feeling like we're coming out of the woods a little bit and are forgetting how to read COVID fog. And and so if there's something you've been reading that, that you want us to know about and better yet would like to hear us talk about on the podcast, let us know and we'll, we'll certainly give it a look. Between the four of us, one of us will at least read the first 10 pages <laughs> and we'll go from there. You can follow us on Patreon, patreon.com slash yakbabies. And there you'll find all kinds of bonus materials, games, bro to bros, probably the thing I just messed up 30 seconds ago that you don't know about until I just said it. They are all there. In the meantime, forward to some more podcasts on the main feed as well. And do us a favor and tell someone else that you care about or someone that you really hate if you don't like the podcast and you're listening to it out of spite to give it a listen. Pick whatever your favorite episode is and beg that they listen to it for Christmas and then you don't have to buy them a present because uh, you're all set with the gift of podcast. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good idea. Buy, buy somebody uh, our Patreon for Christmas. Ooh, yeah, that is out a good idea. Or email us and say you want a CD <laughs> and we will mail you a CD of some select episodes. Oh, fuck uh, yeah. If you email that, I will actually mail you that CD. Well, actually, do I have... Computers don't have CD drives anymore. I might have to record it on a mixtape. I might have a cassette player in my basement. Somehow we will send you analog versions of at least two episodes oh. of the podcast, uh, and we promise to then delete the email and not save your address. Uh, either that or just gift the Patreon. It's probably better. It only costs a dollar, and it gives them access to five years of dumb stuff, and some of it pretty good. We'll have it hashed out by the time you read the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Rev.com. Yak Babies, yakking off. The Yak Babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners, and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. Oh.